0: Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. The project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern urban world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music, and all it brings us, is the perfect
1: place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Si Yo Fuera Una Canción podcast. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my scholarly training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana.
0: In this interview with Marilyn Montaño, I was especially moved and inspired to hear about the ways in which Marilyn's life has revolved around books, writing, and the institutions that support them. This, our final interview for 2021, is dedicated to the power of words. Words can save lives. They can give our lives a path forward, a reason for being. And we all create new worlds with our words every single day. All right. Welcome, Marilyn. I am thrilled to be interviewing you and getting to know you a little better through this interview. And let's start right off. Uh, If you don't mind introducing yourself to the listeners, uh, your name, if you're comfortable sharing your age, that would be great. And tell us a little bit about your connection with Santana.
2: My name is Marilyn Montaño. I am 27 years old, born and raised in Santana. And how I got to Santana, I have to first address uh, my parents because my parents migrated um, from Puebla, Mexico to Santana um, around their, um, er, the early 90s, late 80s. I don't, um, <laughs> don't have the exact time. That's how I'm here in Santana. <laughs>
0: uh huh, uh huh. That was, as I understand it, that was a period of a lot of migration from Mexico into Santa Ana. I mean, a a number of interviewees that I've had that are approximately your age. uh, Yeah, that's when their parents came.
2: Yeah. And I still have uh, yet to know more about their personal story before I was born, (laughs) because I'm interested Mm -hmm. in that. So. Um, But whenever someone asks me, it's always, uh, I'll say, yeah, Santana, Um, but uh, it's always kind of, uh, I like to, you know, acknowledge them, because without them, I wouldn't be here, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, True for all of us, with all of our parents, wherever they came from. So tell us a little bit, Marilyn, about what's your work right now. You're you're living still living in Santana, where you grew up, and what is your contribution to our community?
2: My work to the community, <laughs> um, it started when I was like uh, around high when my high school years. Um, so I graduated um, from Godina's Fundamental High School in 20, 2012, um, mm-hmm. and I've Always been a library kid. <laughs> I mm. grew up going to the New Hope Public Library, um, especially in the summers. Um, mm-hmm. That's where my mom would take us, and it was air conditioned. I'm mentioning the library because it it's how I got to know the community. Um, in high school, like freshman year, I it's always like, wh- "Who are you gonna be? Where do you go?" <laughs> Um, right. What club, what classes, what career, right? You know, that question, even to this day, I'm like, oh, you know, what career, what what life path am I going to choose? <laughs> still asking myself that question at 27. Of um, course,
0: I, I'm still asking myself <laughs> and I'm going to be 65 this year.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Yeah. And that it's okay to like re-ask that, right? I think. Um,
0: I sure hope so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> My parents actually had hopes for me to become a teacher or a lawyer or some doctor, because to them that means like, oh, financial stability. Um, sure. That, But to me, that's not, uh, it's not really what I wanted. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so in ninth grade, towards the end of ninth grade, actually, um, I remember in English class, uh, our our teacher was passing around a sign-up sheet for a journalism class. So I was like, "Okay, we'll do it." So entering sophomore year, I came into journalism class, and I want to say that um, <laughs> taking journalism all throughout high school, I think it's one of the ways that kind of gave me like hope to go to sc- go to high school because <laughs> mm. I wasn't really interested in what my high school offered. It didn't really had a lot of programming. Um, like, mm-hmm. they didn't have ethnic studies back then. I mean, now in, there's more of a push for ethnic studies, right? Yeah. Back then, there there wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I didn't really feel like uh, I, I, my concentration wasn't that great. I didn't have, I wasn't your, like, A-plus student. I was, like, a CD mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> a student. But I was, I, I, I had, there were the words inside of me. I just didn't know how to express them. Or how or I I know I wanted to say something because there was a lot going on in my surroundings and I was just like and being so angry (laughs) at the same time. How do I Mm. express all this? So Mm. journalism was like one of the outlets for me at that time to to express it, to learn how to express it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I get it that the programming at your high school was not all that adequate for kids like yourself, uh, but it's so great that there was that one thing, right?
2: Yeah, so then I had that going on in uh, in high school, you know, but then after school during those years, because I was already a library kid, the libraries for me were like, are like another safe place, it's like another second home. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Um, so then uh, I joined the teen space a club um, that the public library had offered and they had it at New Hope um, as well in that branch and so I was able to meet other folks my age at that time (laughs) I was really shy back then if you ask anyone that knew me in those times I was really shy Um, I was the person that like uh, didn't like to go outside (laughs) even to go to the grocery store I was mm-hmm. just um, used to being inside, and that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was a lot for me.
0: You know, before we go on, before we go on, I just want to do a brief shout-out to the Santa Ana Library. Um, we actually have a team member for the production of this podcast, Laura Diaz, who also came up through Teen Space. I think she was going to the downtown branch. Oh, nice, Yeah. I mean, yeah, as, as I've gotten to know what the Santa Ana Library is doing for this community, it's just really rich and really important. And I'm just so glad that you brought it up.
2: Yeah, well, I have to because it's part of my roots, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I, I since we're on that note, I, I do want to also give a shout out to the local librarians that helped nurture me and uh, and I'm still friends with them at this, um, to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Zulma Cepeda, I, I met her actually at the Santana Public Library, the, the, the main branch. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she really, she means a lot. Uh, she's no longer at, that, at Santana Public Library. She's at a, another um, Orange County Public Library branch, but um, mm-hmm. she was the one to help uh, to, she gave me a um, Gloria and Sandua book um, oh wow and I still have that that's one of my prized possessions it's signed she's like look I got you this book and it's signed and she as a, as a librarian should, she put a plastic on it and I have that so if there is a fire or anything I would grab that <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, oh my goodness yeah um, which, which so,
0: book mm-hmm. was it which one
2: um, this uh, this bridge call my back
0: ah, esta puente mi espalda yeah yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: That wow, what a bold and appropriate thing to do for a teenager, right?
2: Yeah, That's... and she took me to um I went to a Mujeres de Maíz um event to after two thousand twelve and I was producing poetry and all that and she actually came to um to that event, um and we, we keep reconnecting every now and then. But she's uh, always been around in my life, and I, I really, you know, li- librarians, you know, they do a lot for students.
0: <laughs> they um, sure do. They even, sure do.
2: Yeah, yeah. So she did a lot. She, she, she means a lot to me. So, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad this came up. It's what a nice, what a nice note to strike. At the beginning of an interview, is is the, just the importance of libraries, you know, and mm-hmm. importance of these safe spaces where all kinds of information are available, and and then these these amazing people who are the librarians. Uh, it doesn't doesn't get talked about enough, yeah. doesn't get praised enough. So I'm just really glad you brought that up. Yeah. Knowledge is power, and the history of libraries shows it. Up until the 19th century, libraries were private collections in the hands of the powerful or linked to powerful institutions like the church. Literacy was once an index of wealth and influence. Even today, it is closely tied to economic well-being. Some rare individuals among the wealthy and powerful have seen value in the general dissemination of knowledge through libraries. Thus, in 1640, the Bishop of Puebla, Juan de Palafox y Mendoza, established the Biblioteca Palafoxiana with 5,000 books from his private collection under the condition that they be available to any reader. This makes it the oldest public library in the Western Hemisphere. However, it's important to bear in mind that the literacy rate in 17th century Nueva España was well under 10% and included virtually no women or indigenous people. Here in the United States, the first free public lending libraries were established in New England in the 18th century, where literacy was probably around 50%, but again, we're talking about white men. There are few more telling recognitions of the power in knowledge and in literacy than the fact that enslaved persons were prohibited from learning to read or write. In both the USA and Mexico, literacy rates continue to improve, though it has been a slow climb in Mexico, where as late as 1950, less than half the adult population knew how to read and write. There are at present about 9,000 municipal public libraries, like Santa Ana's, in the USA, and about 7,000 in Mexico. No library is truly free, of course. Those in the USA are supported by local and municipal governments using tax dollars, while in Mexico libraries are part of a federally administered system. It's not incidental that they are all a not-for-profit model. The benefits of libraries are not easily quantifiable, but they tend toward greater social equality rather than individual gain. Marilyn's account is similar to others I've heard from other young people about the quietly life-affirming space provided by local libraries and the paths toward dignified futures that emerge from such spaces. In my opinion, public libraries are one of the linchpins of civil society, among the most unqualifiedly noble institutions still available to us. So, so let's fast forward just a tiny bit and tell us how this has brought you to what you're doing today uh, to, make your, to make your living, but also, you know, unpaid work also counts, of course.
2: Right. Yes. Yes. Um, so, you know, I started to meet other folks in the community through um, the Santana Public Library, and that's where I found out about Body Writers, which is a creative writing program um, that happens mm. every summer. Um, and it's been going on, I want to say, longer than 13 years, yeah, it's. And if, and if anybody, if this is your first time listening uh, or finding out about Body Writers, search it up, um, it's still going on. I, I knew about Body Writers because of the Santana Public Library, and that's where I got to meet other folks in the community, and, and because at that time Body Writers, um, actually, it got hosted at El Centro Cultural de Mexico. And that's mm-hmm. how I got to meet other folks in the community from that space. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I met folks from Raíz, which now they're called uh, Resilience Orange County. I met folks from uh, the Latina Brought the Fire, Elvia um, Susana de Calva, who still does um, theater and poetry and um and and all the folks fast forward to like around senior year i i started mm-hmm. doing journalism internships i was the second um student actually to ever intern from the santana school district um at the orange county register because back then they didn't have a program like that so yeah you know i i at the time i was like i'm gonna do journalism i'm set right
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um
2: mm-hmm. back then i was like who do who do i go to like uh, ask about uh, what it's like being a journalist, right? There's these connections, and I actually got directed to meet um, Teresa Cisneros at the Orange County Register at that time,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then so I was under her mentorship and Ron Gonzalez at that time. So from there, I was like, so what do I, what do I report on? Well, I'm gonna report on what's going on in the, in Santana. At that time, my focus, I wanted to do more, like, arts and culture, so mm-hmm. I remember, like, I would um, ask a local artist uh, to interview them, and we would meet at Café Cala- Calacas at that time. Mm-hmm. It's no longer there, <laughs> but I always remember that, because that's where I would ask um, folks to, if they want to get interviewed, I'm like, let's meet there, and we'd go, and we'd talk, and I would, you know, have my notebook, and I... we we would uh, do the interview. (laughs) I went from the register, then I went to the Voice of OC. Mm -hmm. It was a short short, uh, internship, and they're also local. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I went on to uh, the OC Weekly, uh, back when they were in Red Hill. They all have (laughs) a unique uh, story, but I really enjoyed my time also at the OC Weekly. I think I reported on um, the the OC Dream Team Um, back then. They they had an event and I wrote about it, but I was also becoming um, involved in my community. And so as a, you know, for journalists, it's kind of like you can't really get involved if you're reporting or I don't know, it's like that mix, right? Um, So I, yeah, I had to choose. uh, And so I just, I decided I want to get involved in my community. But at the same time, when I was trying, I was deciding to do that, even in folks in my community, because they had seen me um, being mentored or that I was a part of this of the journalism <laughs> um, mm-hmm. world. They were like, is she trustworthy, you know? And it hurt.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a really interesting thing that you're pointed at right there. And I, I want to see if I can articulate it a little further, because it's, I mean, journalists are supposed to be, I guess, objective would be yes. the, the word, right? There's always got to be the, like you're one step back kind of looking at what's going on. And, you know, I do wonder how realistic that actually is. Um, I, I think the idea that that we can be, somehow magically be free of bias, I, I question... Please, please keep going because I'm interested to hear how you might have closed that gap or how you might be working at closing that gap between being supposedly objective and being genuine about where you are and and what you believe in.
2: Well, I think that also messed with my mental health as well
0: <laughs> mm. because
2: it put me in a place where like, um, am I trustworthy? And you carry that Generally, I wanted to report on what's going on, and I, you know, for me it was like arts and culture. I don't feel like there's enough um, reporting on what's going on in our community. But also, I was like, but I'm also part of my community. I'm also an artist as well, right? So I was like, you know, I, I think I was fumbling through that, or I was I'm not to say fumbling, but I was um, always in between that.
0: It's really, really tricky. I I agree, Marilyn. What do you What do you do right now? I'd love you to be able to give a shout out to the the place where you're working right now and the and the work that you guys are doing in the community. So currently,
2: I'm a I'm a bookstore manager, um, events coordinator in mass at Libro Mobile. Uh, we are an arts cooperative, an arts literary cooperative. Uh, we are located in. Um, Calle Cuatro, downtown Santa Ana, um, in the alleyway on um, 4th and Spurgeon. <laughs> and we are, um, we're open Tuesday through Saturday from 12 to 6. Um, we're also um, open virtually 24 7 through our website, which is uh, libromobile.com.
0: Cool. We will, we will, we uh, always link to, you know, websites and, and, community resources that our interviewees mentioned so so that'll come up on our website when your episode is published nice that is cool um and you guys you guys run a gallery as well I understand
2: yes so uh Crear Studio which is a, Bi- a BIPOC art gallery <laughs> run um is part of Libra Mobile um so whenever you're supporting the bookstore you're it know that you're also supporting art gallery. Orange County has art galleries, and they're mainly, uh, a lot of them, you know, hold space for uh, white artists or are led by white folks, and they don't make space for BIPOC folks. They don't make space for them in their art galleries, right? They're only either, they either probably work behind the scenes, um, or gallery, right, like. (laughs) like,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you have a community that is, in some ways, vulnerable or endangered, which I think it's safe to say that the the BIPOC community here in Santana, as in many other places in the United States it is, um, it is both important to get recognition and support from established, which often means white-run organizations, and at the same time it's it's equally important to resist them and to reject them and and rare is the established organization that can accommodate that
2: but then now
0: we're you know we're
2: we're here now 2021 to our own space we're on 5th street GRAR Studio is on Instagram, uh, and you can follow us as well. And we are featuring local BIPOC artists that you know have never gotten the chance to show in their own city, and that's sad. Like, for instance, there's Albert Lopez. Uh, he's the first who got to exhibit here at GRAR Studio um, recently. And his show was called El Baile del Dolar Que Nunca Tuve. And you can still see all that virtually <laughs> through GRAR Studio. Alvar Lopez got to show um, all around, right, but not in his own uh, city where he grew up in um, yeah. until now. And he actually has a piece um, that got picked up by Cheech Marin. So anyways, you know, it's like for Carrera Studio, we are we want to change it up, you know, and there's there's a lot of, you know, um, amazing um, members behind Carrera Studio. The founder um, is... Sarah DeFal Garcia, she's the art gallery
0: owner. And so, you know, look it up. I want to move us forward now to some music because we've been talking for 32 minutes and there hasn't been any music yet. <laughs> uh, and music is one of those things, I will say, that can move us forward and unite us where words might separate us. So, And that's one of the reasons that this podcast exists. So, Marilyn, you, you chose such amazing music. I just, the music you chose makes me super, super happy. Uh, (laughs) It's in in two very different ways because the two selections are really different from one another. So let's start with the first one, which you chose to represent where you come from. And you want to tell us a little bit about that selection?
2: Yes. So I chose the song Mija by Val the Wonder. When this song came out, I remember, I know when I like a song, I replay it so many times until I get tired of it. And so I replayed the song, Probably, like, on my way to work and on my way home so many times. Anytime I can find to listen to it, that's how much I loved it <laughs> when it came out. So, wow. Mija, um, which translates to daughter, um, you know, I, I hear Mija at home and that's what my dad calls me. And mm. um, and it's very endearing, Um and this song, it um, choose a song of where you come from. And that mm-hmm. for me is always like, it's so easy to say Santana, right? But then also there's so many layers behind that. And this song for me, um, it reminds me of my dad more, <laughs> my parents, but my dad more. I have a, and now as a 27 year old, I have a complicated relationship with my own father.
0: Let's listen to
2: it. Yes. Dream big, Yeah, huh? you can see the world
0: uh. Everything the sun touches is yours Don't focus on this place, nah Dream bigger than anything, then focus on that race You were meant for big, yeah, I'm talking real loud Got me feeling
2: like your dad, real proud Listen, anything boys can do, you can do better And no man will love you more than me ever Your mom too, uh,
0: rooting for you always focusing on your future always. I think that's about the most laid back hip hop I've ever heard. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Just it's like slows down my breathing, you know? It's so laid back. And and you know the message the message is like pretty strong. You could imagine like these words coming coming out in a in a really different way that would be like like a, a lot more Kind of forceful. So, so what do you think, Marilyn, about the fact that it is so musically, like the beat is so laid back? Yeah. What, what do you think about that in combination with these, you know, pretty pretty strong message of support in the in the lyrics?
2: Well, this song is a—it's like a reminder. Okay, I'm taking it back to kindergarten because when I remember I was choosing my um, what to wear to my first day at kindergarten. And that to me like stands out, <laughs> but I remember like, mm. um, you know, my parents were in the bedroom, and I was trying to choose what to wear, and I wore something very mixed match. Um, and they were like, they were like, oh yeah, like they were in support. They were like, if you like it, yeah. I'm still showered with a lot of support from mm-hmm. my from my parents. Yeah. And so that to me, they, you know, my dad is always like, you know. Uh, saying, mija, and saying, you know, to ponte las pilas, which means put on your battery. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, yeah, that song is, it's very, uh, it's relaxing, and it's yes. a reminder something, yeah.
0: And I think when we're relaxed, we're better able to remember things, right? Like, when I get stressed out and going too fast and stuff, I, I can't remember with shit. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like I forget ordinary things, but yeah, it kind of like creates this ambiance that you can just kind of relax into, and then and then, like you just shared a memory going all the way back to kindergarten. What were you like five, right? Yeah. you know, and 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 yet you know, there's this strong message. She says, "You go and learn from all my mistakes." Um, and that's true. I mean, we do learn from mm-hmm. our parents' mistakes, and and sometimes, as you say, our our relationships get more complicated with time. Um, but that's part of that learning process, or at least that's the way I see it.
2: Yeah, and then you make you actually well, I learn from my own mistakes as well. <laughs> that's know, right. I, yeah, and then also I think when uh, Velda Wonder said uh, your first uh, first daughter, because I'm. I'm the first daughter. I'm the only daughter. You know, I have uh, younger brothers, um, so I'm the only. Growing up and being the only daughter, it's you know, it's it yeah. has its pros and cons, especially when you're the first one.
0: I'm I am a first child as well, mm. uh, so I I think I yeah that's a whole very very interesting topic, and of course you know your parents didn't have any practice before you. Yeah. No. <laughs> so they were learn they were on a real steep learning curve with you. It's it's pretty much it's pretty much inevitable, I think. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it's a very particular kind of weight that one carries as a first child. Well, that what a yeah, what a lovely song and the, and the way it evokes um it evokes the past, I think, through just like creating this open space from the really slow beat and the and the kind of very down tempo trumpet line and stuff. It's, uh, yeah, I I and I did not know about this artist and she's interesting. You know, she has no presence on, for instance wikipedia which is like the bible of finding out about artists you didn't <laughs> know about but but she's sufficiently i would say underground or you know sh- she's operating more through social media i have not met her personally i
2: mean if i ever did that is super cool but uh her music <laughs> her albums her, the music video to me had, she um did a collaboration with the fashion brand but the thing they go by bonita Mhm. Um but the music video for Miha is like the production and everything how it was executed it's like I like to rewatch that music video as well sometimes.
0: It is a really beautiful music video. It's extraordinarily beautiful and very very clever how it's put together and the whole kind of retro feel, you know, like the the cool jazz feel of the of the song is kind of picked up in the visuals and all these clever ways it's really pretty. Yeah, um, and
2: so props to, you know, Velda <laughs> Wonder and all the team that I'm pretty sure, you know, there's indie musicians who um, you don't get a lot of credit for what they do not just their music but everything that goes behind it. Right. You know, I don't I don't know <laughs> the the cost and everything that went to it, but it's the 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 presentation it speaks for itself.
0: It's really, it's really Mm -hmm. thoughtful and really, really beautiful. I agree.
1: Very much like the East Coast, the West Coast also developed its own style of hip hop and rap music. In many ways, the West Coast sound of hip hop and rap, just like the East Coast sound, reflects the societal and cultural events within which the music developed. Many point to the Watts Riots of 1965, spurring Bud Schulberg to form the Watts Writers Workshop which was intended to provide a space for community members to express themselves freely in the face of such a horrendous event. This workshop gave rise to the Watts Profits, which is seen as one of the principal antecedents of hip-hop on the West Coast. In the 1970s, DJs began to create partnerships and production companies such as Alonzo Williams and Roger Clayton's Unique Dreams, which would later become World Class Wrecking Crew and Uncle Jam's Army these companies would play some of the most influential shows in venues across Los Angeles. It would be with these companies that artists like NWA, Dr. Dre, DJ Yella, and many others would first be discovered and developed. Through the 1980s and to the modern day, the Los Angeles hip hop and rap scene continued to change in response to the communities that support and keep the music alive. This included artists enjoying national and international fame, as well as so-called underground artists. As of August 2021, a documentary entitled, Where We're From, Rise of LA Underground Hip Hop was released for streaming. A link to this amazing documentary will be included with the show notes for this episode. We highly recommend it if you might be interested in the Los Angeles underground hip hop scene. One such underground artist is Vale The Wonder, although she has enjoyed a rise in popularity and commercial success recently. Originally from Baldwin Park, Veil The Wonder began as a graffiti artist, later developing her masterful command of freestyling, that is, improvising spoken phrases in the moment after studying underground hip-hop and rap. Her music has been described as challenging as she is unafraid to focus on the traumas that women face in today's society. Most recently, Vel the Wonder's Frutas was used in HBO's Euphoria, gaining her national acclaim. Vel is definitely an up-and-coming star, not only in the West Coast scene, but also in American popular music.
0: I want to pivot like directly to your next song. While uh, Vel the Wonder song is, is still kind of, you know, in our ears a little bit, I want to go directly to your next song because the contrast is so intense. And, uh, and then I want to talk about that contrast in your life. So let's listen to Downtown Boys' I'm Enough, I Want More. <laughs> Tell me how this song came into your life. Yes. Uh,
2: well, it's interesting because I didn't know about this about this band until someone um, who I once had a long term relationship with um, they put me to this song. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, the the songs of the band, and then from there, you know, um, I was like, I I love this band. So now I'm like. Whenever I'm like, <laughs> I need some like uh, some, not just reassure, not just some reminders also, but like to get pumped for whatever I'm doing. Or um, <laughs> I I go to some of their songs from Downtown Boys. So here, you know, here you have a band from Rhode Island, um, empowering uh, <laughs> a 27 year old from Santana, California. <laughs>
0: As far as I can tell, they are a multi-ethnic and and somewhat bilingual band, right? Um, yes. And, but yeah, I noticed the Rhode Island piece and it was like, what? But, you know, you come from where you come from, but to, to get to this, I don't know. It's like, yeah, this is such energetic music. It really could not be more different than your first song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I remember because the reason why that person uh, who put me on to this band to listen to they're like this reminds me of you and so i thought that was interesting back then but now i'm like well yeah because uh it's so i was trying to decide which song to choose from downtown boys because Mm. it was between i'm enough i want more and wave of history um, Mm -hmm. which is another good one (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. but with i'm enough i want more i think it speaks to um my i I, know i gone through some burnout <laughs> myself mm-hmm. and uh, anger, but I'm still trying to like survive. And uh, how do I put my anger into more of a productive mode or, or not, you know, like this world is still consumed with being, pro- being productive all the time, but also like how do you process your own feelings? I know it makes people uncomfortable to see someone so angry, And i have you know, being told to hush or not this way or, you know, to to repress my anger. But I've been so angry and I'm still angry, you know. So this song just speaks to it.
0: (laughs) It absolutely does. And, you know, it's not lost on me that the lead singer is a woman. (laughs) And she is a woman who knows how to shout. And and I, I mean that actually like, technically it's like shouting <laughs> shouting the way she does for this whole song which is over 3 minutes long i mean i couldn't do that i would start coughing and my throat would seize up you know it's it's actually a technique that you have to learn
2: yeah and
0: and a, a good punk singer knows how to do that and it's it's so powerful to just hear a woman shouting angrily for 3 minutes you know because you know, I'm, I'm going to the gender aspect of this. I think more than anything, yeah, because it it cuts across different cultures. I, you know, your upbringing, my upbringing is very different. Many upbringings, women are supposed to be quiet. Yeah, and it affects all of us. And this lady, what's her name, um, Victoria Ruiz? Victoria, yes. Uh, she's like, nope. Uh uh-uh. uh, <laughs> I'm gonna shout, and you're gonna listen. And, and she does it so well, uh, you know. It's like, I, I, when I was listening to this song, I thought, this is like really attractive punk music. And then I thought, but I think punk music is not supposed to be attractive. <laughs> this is the first punk music to be featured on our show, something which I admit kind of surprises me given the amount of counterculture that our younger interviewees are invested in. Downtown Boys has been in existence since 2011, and they've had a fair amount of success. A fact that brings contradictions, of course, for notions of success are flatly antithetical to a punk ethic. Part of a 2017 press release shows them grappling with this contradiction, and I quote, Downtown Boys are keenly aware of the increased visibility and credibility that comes with signing to a corporate media conglomerate such as Sub Pop. They are using this platform as a megaphone for their protest music, amplifying and centering Chicana, queer, and Latinx voices in the far too whitewashed world of rock. This begs the question of the extremely problematic correlation in US-American culture between having a voice and having money. It's easy to accuse artists of selling out, and of course many do. On the other hand, the downtown boys won't serve their goals by remaining obscure and relinquishing their megaphone. Not that Victoria Ruiz needs a megaphone.
2: Yeah, no, it's trying to send a message, right? Okay, like for instance, housing um, and like low income housing. Because still to this day, there's artists in our community that are you know um, struggling. I'm personally struggling with housing. My family is. I know so many others are. And you still see them out protesting or, you know, trying to bring about awareness on housing insecurity in their own form. You know, I personally may not be out um, rallying as much as I used to because that that came with my own burnout.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And there's uh so many different ways to do this work. I mean, getting out on the street and chanting and and banging drums – is super important, mm-hmm. it's not the only way. And, I, you know, I, I'm i really gl- glad that you brought this around to the housing thing because that obviously that's been huge in Santa Ana very recently, just very recently, the city council finally grudgingly, but they did vote in rent control, which yes. is a big thing. And, and now, of course, there's a counter push from the uh, Apartment Owners Association, which you know, yet more fighting is gonna be necessary to make sure that money doesn't carry the day against the needs of people who don't happen to have money. And so it's it's a very present issue in our community. Uh, and Santana is far from unique in this way, but it's it's particularly visible visible here, I think, because the the divide between the haves and the have nots is it's extremely visible in this community and, and it, you know, you can't like really pretend that it's not there. And, yeah. and yeah, you know, pulling a Victoria Ruiz. Yeah. You can do that out on the street by literally shouting on the street. And that's important. Yeah.
2: Very but important. <laughs> it,
0: it, it is very important, mm-hmm. but, and I say this again, it's mm-hmm. not the only way and there are ways yeah. to shout that are not physical shouting. And, you know, I think, running a community bookstore, running a community podcast, you know, these are also contributions. And the main thing is that we all kind of pull together and acknowledge one another's contributions to making this city and this world more livable for for everyone.
2: Yeah. And and that's why, you know, uh, with, on the note of Mobile and um leave mobile you know where we're at it's uh, very interesting <laughs> as well because we're in the downtown area um and trying to remain or like the quinceanera shops they're trying to make it for example um albert lopez's show his suit uh, where was that suit bought it was from it was bought from a local bridal shop bridal shop in the in the downtown area not the next uh shop it's so interesting to me. I I go to work at the bookstore, and I'm pulling out the signs to get ready for the day, so people can see our signage, because mm-hmm. we're in the alleyway. But as I'm passing by where um, we're, we're um, it's by uh, the playground in the Mitracana, that area where the Carousel used to be. I'm passing by that area. Constantly, but mm-hmm. also that's where I protested along with other community folks, and now I'm here pulling signs, right? And I'm <laughs> i taking it as like, by me being at the bookstore and the bookstore being uh, in an existence, we're we're saying we're fighting against gentrification. You know, many people might think that's not a form of how you fight, but for us, it's like, well, we're the only bookstore in Santana. Like, you look, you Google. Bookstore in Santana, you you will find us. We're trying to remain and saying "f you" to gentrification. We're we're here, and all the if you walk in, like also like all the books that we have on our shelves, it's not like your typical like uh, Barnes and Noble, like what you see. It's like we curate to have a certain selection of books. We prioritize having Black, Indigenous, and POC authors. Mm-hmm. Um, po- everything from poetry, children's book. Um, memoir, nonfiction, special collection. Are you know we're always trying to grow because folks are you know they come to our store and then they, they go home with like Isabel Allende or you <laughs> know um, Gabriel mm-hmm. Garcia Marquez. Local authors. We have a whole shelf de- like a, a dedicated to local authors um so it's so
0: it's so awesome and you know I'm just going to weave it back to the some of the words of the of the song uh she ends she's she's screaming but she's saying yes that's mine yes that's ours yes that's ours yes 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 and you know it's like a very positive forceful positive message she's got there and and that's what I hear in your voice as you're talking about about your bookstore is is that, the, yes, that's mine. Yes, that's ours. It mm-hmm. belongs to us. We can we can make this happen. And and by having that bookstore there, yeah, that's what you're doing.
2: Yeah. So that you know, I'm I'm throughout the week I'm helping other. I'm tra- I've been training other book advisors um, and uh stacking books or doing book inventory and or you know helping run events um and i hope that you know i it continues on because you know this is not just this is you know the bookstore i have to give before we end this interview this Mm -hmm. the bookstore you know it was founded by Sara de garcia she's a local artist she's author of las niñas santana's fairy tales and i couldn't link those for you because she also um, touches on the subject of uh, gentrification, housing mm-hmm. through her stories. But if it wasn't mm-hmm. for her, for folks like Sarah um, and other folks I've met along the way, like David Lopez from the, from the library, another librarian I'm mentioning, folks like them that like like remind me like okay, ang- be angry, but also like you know put it out like in, in paper, like <laughs> publish mm-hmm. a, publish a book. I've been trying to. Um, Finish my full collection of poetry for the longest time, and
0: sure, sure. Yeah. Well, that is really a great note to end on. Yeah, like mm-hmm. get it out there. Let your light shine. Yet your let your words shine. And I really hope for you, Marilyn, that that book of poetry poetry comes out. I'll be in line to buy it when it <laughs> does. <laughs> that's that's really exciting. And um, yeah, it's and this song, man. Um, it gets yeah. you pumped up, right? For the <laughs> it gets you pumped up in the most like positive, yeah. adrenalized kind of a way. And It's like yes, 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 let's go! <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I know. I went from uh, you know relaxing to like you know let's let's get let's get it going. We we got things to mm-hmm.
0: do. <laughs> I think yes, and we do. We all have so much to mm-hmm. do, and and it's good to have a few really great anthems to remind us kind of how to, how to keep moving, you know?
2: Thank you for, I want to say uh, thank you for, uh, you know, having me on and um, and everyone, you know, behind, behind this project, you know, um, uh, I, you know, we're, we're reconnecting, right? Because I, I know we have yeah. seen each other at community events in the past, but now we're reconnecting, so...
0: I know it's nice, and it was nice to see your face briefly on Zoom uh, before I shut down the video, because uh, it was like, oh yeah, I remember that face. <laughs> so um, yeah, it is really nice to reconnect, and and you know, I I wish many more reconnections for you going forward. Um, it's you know, it sounds like there's room for some of that, and and I think as we all learn together. How to build community? You know that reconnection is a part of that. And
2: yeah, and thank you to Zoe for uh, putting me on your on the list, and how we also got to be here now.
0: <laughs> yeah, Zoe is uh, mm-hmm. that gal is gonna change the world.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> no
0: no doubt about it. She is a mover and shaker. So. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Marilyn, so much. Beautiful interview. And um, I'm going to shut down the recording on my end now. Would you like to know more? On our website at cofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Si Yo Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen and do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvin make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture, currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Guin and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción Sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una onda, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo. Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más onda.